0: Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an off-forgotten installment in a franchise, and see if you should check it out for yourself. By the way, I'm making a real sacrifice in this intro, because I'm about to introduce myself, I'm one of yours, Corey, and I wanted to put a quote here, and I'm going to sacrifice my quote, even though I think I have a perfectly chosen quote. Oh, don't quote do that. To say, it's spooked over. That's my quote. I'm sacrificing myself and my good bit. You're so selfless for the love of the game and the the game is spooktober i'm basically i'm a lot like any major religious figure in that way
1: um christian martyr
0: yeah christian martyr is uh my favorite dirt bike rider i don't know (laughs) uh (laughs) with me i've got liam i don't know
2: Uh, it's spooktober
0: that you, you can what you can is that you're, go, you're, you're not getting a movie? I kind of like a the horrible way it sounded about when this you it.
1: Liam doesn't even have a quote. What does that mean that he thinks of the movie?
0: If it doesn't have a quote. Mitch, right we'll see. Here, Hello. Mitch,
1: Mitch, what's yours? Because we are both playing or being made to play some monstrous game. I can't pretend to understand what its purpose is. I only know that it is happening. Something secretive and whispery and indecent. I tell you that and believe monologue. me, oh. the children yeah. are in so dreadful wrong. peril.
2: That was a monologue. That wasn't really a, a quote. And kind of made our podcast all asymmetrical too. We got these spooktobers <laughs> hanging out over here, and then well, I'm it up that, for the lack of everyone thing. else's quote. Well,
0: I mean, there's only like so much we can do about that. Do you want me to say yeah. what my quote was? Quiet, everyone. The entertainment is about to commence. Because you know we've. That's
1: pretty good. That would have been really apropos for
2: then, but now here we are. Well, Well, I've got got one too. How about this? Uh, I've been quite alone, except for my greedy friends. Good children do get a bit boring, don't they?
0: A body Uh, can only judge themselves.
2: These are creepy quotes, guys. This kid is getting sweaty. That was just a note that I had. Um, no one, no one had the audacity to say it in that movie. No one was brave enough. Nobody would say it to that kid's fucking face. They should have though. He's becoming a man, and he needs to know it.
0: Uh, uh, in honor of this movie, Mitch, can I ask you to say one yes. thing for me, quick? Can you give me your best? I want to steal, I the, want doll? To
1: steal the doll. That's your no, best. That's kind of weak. That one was like an old squeeze box.
0: Yeah, we'll build up. We'll build up to it because. Boy, howdy! Do we have some British children we on sure our hands? Sure, do. Uh, this is the Innocents, not to be confused with the Innocents. Or the Innocents,
1: Visconti's last film,
2: or <laughs> of course <laughs> Lucchino Visconti's final film, The Innocent. Singular. Right. Or the this... Innocents from 2021. It's not
0: that, or any other adaptation of the Turn of the Screw, like that one with the
2: Stranger Things kid from like last <laughs> year. <laughs> Yeah, such a missed opportunity casting him and not and not the kid from uh, Home Sweet Home. I Alone. want to
1: steal the zone. <sighs>
2: um, I realized
0: partway through watching this movie that that movie must have also been an adaptation of that. When I realized that it was called The Turning, did you see that like, movie? No, but I saw the trailer and I was like, it's reminding me of this. And I was like, oh, I bet through the The same Turn of the Screw has
1: been re like adapted like so many times um yeah is that why you picked this movie Mitch why'd you pick this movie um wow we're getting into it okay I picked this movie because yeah none of us watched any
0: movies before this so we can't do (laughs) Liam's idea so we're getting right into it
2: (laughs) hey I watched some movies but I'm on okay stop
0: stop Mitch think about it
2: Liam what have you been watching recently (laughs) well thank you so much for asking Corey I actually uh I've seen a few things this month um in fact on october 2nd i missed watching something on october 1st uh i wanted to watch something a day and it didn't happen but on a, a october 2nd i watched two things so i've caught up and hopefully by the end of the month uh, my goal is to have watched 31 uh movies because that's how many days there are in the month and i think that would be cool and on october 2nd i got together with some friends i had the serbian blu-ray f- film you Serbian did it. film blu-ray in one hand that's a horror I had one I had one friend who was willing to watch it with me uh, beside me and the other friend had I never said I was of, open to it and I didn't even get an invite this is incredible <laughs> well listen and then I had uh, and then I had another friend beside me who knew nothing about the movie and um, my other friend wanted to wanted to just make him sit through it but but I was feeling bad I, I feel like to watch this movie you've got to you've got to know what you're in for and. at at least know that uh that you might be put through the ringer and i didn't think it was fair to to maybe put this guy through the ringer when he didn't know that there was even a ringer coming so we decided not to watch serbian film and so that's Mm. still waiting for you this month Corey. i see so you're all good so like Um, the whole reason you didn't watch it was because nobody
0: wanted to tell one
2: guy what was in it (laughs) no 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 like we we could tell him uh like we told him that it was super fucked up and everything but he uh he wasn't enthusiastic about it. I, hard I don't to be wanna, enthusiastic
1: about it, that. especially if you know what's
2: involved. I find it pretty I mean, easy, Mitch. It, but I find it yeah. pretty easy. Yeah, you, you've seen it. Oh, I didn't I know that. And you
1: and you still I'm, uh, won't clamoring watch you with me? to see it again? Believe it or not, it's hard to believe. I know. Okay. Clambering, yeah. clamoring, Interesting. clamoring. Mm. Yeah, yeah I put be. a B in clamoring. <laughs> I'm, I'm clamoring to see it.
2: Hmm. So yeah, no Serbian film. What I did do, though, was um, we ended up having a double feature. So I caught up on my October watching, which was very nice. We scrolled through Amazon Prime video for a long time. Our goal was we wanted to watch like a bad horror movie, a fun bad horror movie. And we were kind of just digging through the bargain bin on Amazon Prime, um, watching a lot of trailers. These guys are trailer guys. I'm not really much for trailers, but that's how they decide to watch a movie. And so we came across this trailer for a movie called devil's island and it looked kind of cool um and we watched it and it was um and i'll try not to sound like every other podcast host that has ever said something like this or ever anyone else on the internet um but i think i can humbly say that it is absolutely one of the worst films i've seen in my life is it not about in a the penal way. colony, like like in french guiana okay no 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 i don't know what any of those words mean no it's not about that um it takes place on the thousand islands in okay. new york um and there are a thousand islands here where we live in ottawa we're, we're like right across uh away from it, so that was kind of cool. Like my my fiance's family has a cottage on Thousand Islands, so when the movie started taking place there, I thought this is this is kind of this, this is going to be kind of fun. I'm going to see stuff I recognize, and maybe it'll make the Thousand Islands scarier for me when I go back. But it is the most meandering, hollow, pointless film I could I could ever imagine. Um, so little happens, but not in an artful way; just in a way that they they needed to make a movie way Um, by the time it all wraps up I felt uh, even colder than I felt before I started I felt like this movie made me a worse person Um, so it was was gutter balls oh dude so much worse than gutter balls dude gutter balls is like at least provocative and when someone says that's the worst movie i understand why because it it goes to such extremes this movie goes to so little extremes it's just just nothing it's just a nothing film um so i I gave that a a one out of ten damn and then we watched a second movie and this might be the first time I can think of, um, I'm, I'm sure it's happened before, but the first time uh, in memory I can think of that I watched a 1 out of 10 movie and a 10 out of 10 movie in the same night, a mm. double feature. It was very nice. So then uh, the, the third friend said, uh, yo, what's the movie about those people who are like at a dinner party and then like... Um, they realize that there are other versions of themselves walking around. And I said that, my friend, is Coherence from 2013. Have you guys heard of Coherence? No. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm surprised. I, I, I'm i sure i brought it up on the podcast occasionally. I haven't mean creaked it, but um, <laughs> it is absolutely one of my favorite movies. I show it to so many friends. I would be happy to watch it with you guys. Um, it, is, it is incredible. It's like a, a closed... Uh, setting, but high-premise, sci-fi thriller kind of thing. The um, whole, play- whole thing takes place in one house. you got these friends meeting up for a dinner party, and a comet passes overhead, and then things start of this. Uh, being kind of weird. Um, and it, it is incredible. I've probably seen it about ten times, and I still understand very little of it, but in a very different way than Devil's Island. This way, like, I, I know that there are things to understand because every time I watch it, I get something new out of it. But um, I still don't have my head totally wrapped around it. It's very heady, but just so cool to spend time with and experience all the, the twists and turns with the characters. And it's one of the best movies, I think, to watch with someone who hasn't seen it Um because the movie just goes to to so many wild places but in a very subdued way the the movie it's a low budget movie and it's basically just people talking um and uh, I said before we watched it, you know, I, I told them it's not, it's not really a horror movie. But halfway through the movie, my friend was like, "What are you talking about, dude? This is a horror movie. I am freaking out." And it, it does have that quality to it in concept. It, it just it gets freaky, and the more you think about it, and um, it's, it's just a creepy movie. So that's coherence. That's one of my favorite movies. Um, I watched a movie called The Block Island Sound from 2020. Um, it's about this f- fisherman who keeps waking up on a boat and not knowing how he got there. Um, I think it kind of suffers from what a lot of modern day, uh, sci-fi type movies suffer from where at the end, uh, I feel like it didn't explain enough. Um, but I, it, it was a, it was a, it was a fun ride. That was like a six out of 10 to me. And then I saw the movie smile, which I recommend cool. you guys see, uh, in, in the theater. That one is it has some really cool horror images in it. Um it's it's like a good mix of uh modern day, like artful horror and also old tropey horror and new tropey horror. Um it's it's just a cool mix. It's in 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 uh, the way the plot unfolds, it might not be uh, that different from stuff you've seen before, but the ride is really cool, um, and it kind of has a, a cool punch of an ending that uh, that a lot of uh, mainstream horror movies made for a big crowd don't have, so that's a good one, and that, that's, uh, that's my, been my October so far.
1: Damn.
2: Yeah, you're doing it yeah, way better than we are. I haven't had time anything, for anything. Yeah, nothing the month is young boys don't worry yeah
0: in fact the only thing that I've seen is the innocence. that's
2: Innocents. not a bad start oh that's right I saw that too
1: Mitch why are we watching the Innocence? well if you're asking why it qualifies I may have like skirted okay good. I'm good, not, good, good it's fine we've we've we've
0: gone good. over it <laughs> okay
1: Um, I picked this movie because it's different it's a different kind of horror from what we normally watch. We watch a lot of um, horror movies. We watch a lot of uh, like slashes slashers films with gore. And I think that this film is a really effective horror movie, but in a totally different approach. It's uh, a classic sort of gothic chiller. We don't really touch ghost stories. And I think this is one of the best. It's one of the best ghost stories. And it's certainly the, gra- like the grandfather of creepy kid movies. And So I picked it for that reason, but also I saw this movie a couple years ago and the images of the film have been seared into my mind. If you want to see a film that's like a how to do black and white cinematography, this is the one. Um, the, the level of contrast in the shots are al- almost blinding, blinding whites and blacks that are so deep that you know, they contain all kinds of mystery. And, uh, I really love the screenplay. I think it's a masterful screenplay by, uh, Truman Capote and, uh, a couple a of couple other people, other people, people too that we'll we can touch to on in a bit. Um, but I think Capote's sense sensibility really shines through here. Kind of bringing like an, a Southern Gothic element to, to England. And, um, So I think it's a really tight screenplay, a gorgeous film, and I think it's a really great gothic chiller. Uh, And I love that it's such a slow burn, (laughs) um, full of just psychological underpinnings. And it's just, it's uh, to me, I think it's it's one of my favorite um, ghost stories. So I picked it for that reason, or those reasons.
0: There's nothing funnier to me right now than the phrase "gothic chiller." Gothic chiller. Gothic chiller is my favorite new slushy flavor. Tastes like, like tombstones. Oh,
2: dude, that's a great idea. Market it that during like October.
0: Tombstones.
2: I think they would make
0: good money if they made like a haunted orange slushy or something.
1: Yep. Pumpkin spice flavor. I wonder if that's happened.
2: I mean, there are so many October themed. I feel like
1: a gothic chiller, if it was a slushy, would just taste like aged port and cobwebs and ash and burnt candle wax. Mitch, if you had to mitch up a cocktail called the gothic chiller, what's going on? Uh, probably like I would do like brandy and I would serve it in like a gold rimmed glass and... I would probably serve it without any ice, and I would probably put, I don't know, I'm not sure what I would use to sweeten it, Um, maybe port, and maybe, like, a twist of an orange or, like, a a, a peel of a pumpkin or something, I don't know, a gothic chiller, Uh, I don't know, I just think of, like, an old, like, something you would sip in, like, a woodbound study, like, while ruminating about the evils outside between the witching hour and the hour of the wolf in like a silk smoking jacket or something with wild eyes.
0: Hard to argue with that folks. Somebody make that. If it kills you, we're not liable. (laughs) Cause you put like a ghost in it. A bit of ectoplasm. That's the Um, secret
1: ingredient. mm Hmm.
0: So real quick then, let's not waste any time Jack Clayton director of this film he uh directed room at the top which uh I believe was just on criterion channel because I know that's some early British new wave kind of stuff so if you want to check that out Mm -hmm. there you go um it's written by as Mitch said Truman Capote who wrote breakfast at Tiffany's the same goddamn year and um, in Cold Blood as well. But also William Archibald. This is basically his only credit of note. Uh, there are also additional scenes in dialogue. That is the credit uh, for John yeah, Mortimer. he brought like a uh, sort of
1: a, a, a Victorian sensibility. He he had that sort of style in his writing.
0: Um, and uh, obviously based on The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Classic 1890s. Uh, it's edited. Chiller. It's edited by James Clark, who edited some notable yeah. movies: The Mission, uh, which I think I've told this story. But we watched that in like a grade eleven or twelve history class, and I was like the only person who gave a fuck about that movie at all as it was on. And I was like, "You guys, this movie's fucking awesome." Um, it won the Palm Door <laughs> in like nineteen eighty six or whatever. Um, The Killing Fields, Marathon Man, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Cinematography is by Freddie Francis. We've seen his work
1: before on the pod.
0: Friend of the show. Multiple times, yep. it turns out. Cape Fear. Return to Oz. <laughs> Glory. The Elephant Man. The Straight Story, etc. Music is by Georges Uh The Wages yep. of Fear. Great Rafifi. Composer. Uh I also included the art director that felt like For the right like thing this, to do. Yeah. Wilfred Singleton, the African queen. Mm-hmm. Great expectations. The lady vanishes.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a few uh, sort of uh, John Huston connections here. Um, the director, Jack Clayton, worked on Beat the Devil as an associate producer. So he actually got to know a lot of those uh, John Huston regulars, people who worked on films at like the African Queen. And that's actually where he met Truman Capote because Truman Capote was actually writing Beat the Devil Uh while they were shooting Beat the Devil, it was kind of a disastrous production. There's actually a good story about it. So they were shooting in Italy and North Africa, and Truman Capote would call home to his pet raven every single day. And then one day the raven wouldn't speak into the phone, and Capote was so beside himself that he took a plane back to Rome to console the bird. (laughs) I wonder what
0: it's like being just audaciously rich yeah <laughs> <laughs> just a whole different world um this movie has a short cast and most of them they look had like their average height to me <laughs> <laughs> this movie has an average height cast of relatively few people and um most of them don't really have careers to note after this which was shocking to me mm. uh but a few certainly do it's, deborah it's like kerr deborah kerr yeah. Care. Yes, uh, as Miss Giddens, "uh, The King and I," black narcissist from here to eternity. Kind of a goaded actor. Yeah, and then we've got um Martin Steffens and Pamela Franklin playing Miles and Flora, the two kids. We've got Meg's plural Meg's
2: Jenkins as Mrs. Gross. Damn, does she have an apostrophe in her name? No, is it her <laughs> Jenkins? It's Meg's Jenkins. Uh
0: Michael Redgrave is the yeah, uncle he's, he's a big deal. Uh also the late uh, the lady yeah, Ma- Michael
1: Redgrave, uh, so like the Redgraves are like a British sort of acting dynasty, kind of like the Barrymores are over here or or um you know, some so many other sort of actor families. So I mean there's like Lynn Gre- he gave like his, his like Lynn uh, Redgrave is his daughter, so is Vanessa Redgrave, who you might recognize from Murder on the Orient Express, a bunch of other movies. Uh yeah. He was more of a stage actor though Although he did make films
0: Um, Peter Wingard Plays Peter Quint A ghost (laughs) Uh, He is in Flash Gordon Pretty cool Uh, I don't know how to say this name And the way I'm going to say it's going to sound kind of funny But you have to bear with me because I don't know how to say it Cliddy Jessup? (laughs) What does that spell like? C L Y T I E. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. I don't really know who they are.
2: Cliddy. Cliddy. Slyty, Slytie. Clitty Jessup. I don't know. (laughs) What dang? It's. (laughs) English language is so weird. So fucking stupid. Or maybe it's not English, but language is so weird that you could go from it could conceivably be clitty or sly tie. <laughs> and both of those might be thry. or somewhere in between, we're not sure.
0: <laughs> um she's playing uh Mary Jessel and then uh Ilsa Cameron is playing a uh, Isla Cameron, sorry. It's Isla. playing Anna. Um, So this movie is about... Oops. Clicked clicked off the thing where I had my plot. So this movie is about uh, a rich, rich, rich man who hates his his niece and nephew desperately. uh, And he does not wish to be involved in raising these children that were sort of unceremoniously dumped he's on orphans. him because of a death uh and he's like fuck this uh and he hires a governess who's gonna go live with these kids off at this estate in Bly a manor in Bly if you will and um, it's, it's just called Bly Bly Manor
1: it's like the house
2: yeah yeah I mean I was saying it Yeah. yep <laughs> Mitch, have you seen the uh, the Mike Flanagan show, The Haunting of Blair? Uh, no, Manor, I haven't. That adapts this. Ah, that'd be interesting to watch sometime. I, I would love to see that. I loved The Haunting of Hill House, but I haven't seen that newer one. Sorry,
1: Cory, keep going.
2: No, it's okay. <laughs> I just I didn't have a good response to that. So.
0: Um. So she loves kids and loves like the purity and beauty and happiness and joy of children so um she goes and lives at this estate with these two kids um except everything seems fine at first well it's her and some staff but everything seems fine at first but then like the one kid allegedly gets uh expelled from his school and they get sent back and like something seems up with the kids and miss giddens starts seeing like visions of other people that used to be alive yeah and um everything just sort of spirals from there i think is the easiest way to put it Mm -hmm.
2: hilarity ensues hilarity absolutely
0: liam did you like the innocence me first yeah well mitch picked it and he's seen it more than once so do you agree with this this mitch or Mitch, do you want to go first?
1: Do you want to I'm set kind the of baseline more curious to see what Liam has to it. say because I feel like he's going to be like the... He's the odd... Like, <laughs> me
0: first? He's the one who I'm
1: not sure all right, about.
2: No, if, that's all good. Yeah, it's Mitch's movies. Sure? If Mitch wants me, I'm down. Mm-hmm. But That surprises you, Corey, that Mitch isn't sure?
1: A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Seems pretty straightforward to me.
2: Why don't you guys talk about Why that? Why
1: I think that you might not like it. Well, if you're going first, so, I wait, So instead of Liam telling us if he liked it or not, you have to have me tell why I think that Liam might not have liked it. Okay. Yes.
0: Yeah, that would be fantastic if you could do um,
1: that. Well, I know, like, Liam, you're not, like, a huge, like, I know you're a huge horror guy, and this is, like, a bastion of horror. But it's, like, it's older, and it's um, it's not, like, super conventional. And, and not that you're into conventional movies, and, and I didn't mean to come off that way. Um, but it's, it's, it's definitely older and it, it's like a slower burn. And so I'm just kind of, I'm not sure
2: if you like it or not. It's a very fair point, Mitch. Um, I would wonder the same thing. In fact, I did, as I was watching it, I had to ask myself, am I liking this? Um, I didn't have to ask myself for too long. I, I made my mind up pretty quickly. I love this movie, man. Love it. Fuck yeah. Um, one of the finest, uh certainly one of the finest things I've seen this season on the podcast. I know we're not that deep in, but I put it up there with uh, last season as well. I thought this was such a haunting, um, cool meld of worlds here. Like it... You know, you say you say it's an old movie and that's true. And in some ways it feels older than it even is because it came out in the 60s. But this takes place in the 19th century. But in a lot of ways, I thought that this felt so modern, or at least I I could very clearly see the influence that it has had on modern horror movies. And I thought it totally held up. Like there are so many cool shots in this movie where the scary thing is just distant um and you don't see it for that long and um that's something that has been done so much in the in the last 10 years or so in like a24 movies and stuff and um i thought that this was such a cool um novelistic tale Um, it felt very clear to me that this was based on a lot novel um but in a very rich way, I thought all these characters um, were interesting from the get-go. Even, even The Bachelor, who, who hires uh, Mrs... Um giddens you miss miss, Mrs. Yeah. miss giddens um i thought he was very interesting and and did over everyone else and then the movie just spends time with this this cast of characters and they all just get more interesting as the movie goes on they reveal more things about themselves and um, they're searching out answers and no one is really all that trustworthy um and I thought that it was so thematically strong as well, the way that it deals with kids. I thought that was very brave um, and not what I expected in a in an old movie like this. Um, I, I didn't know that you know they were, you were able to get kids to do some of the stuff that they do in this movie. You know, this is like before the Exorcist. Um, so I I loved this movie. I thought it it would be a feast on mute, um, but uh, much like. Uh, me talking on this podcast, it would be a feast on mute, so you wouldn't have to hear these birds squawking. But it, it, it also when you when you listen to what this movie has to say, I think there's a whole lot of richness, and I would love to see it again. I thought this was an Fuck awesome yeah. movie.
1: I'm so glad you liked it.
2: What about you, Corey? Because it sounds like Mitch likes this one. So, uh, my
0: answer is going to be really annoying. I think um this movie is obviously very very good right like i don't think anybody could watch this movie and go eh bad and just like walk away like i don't think that's possible um i think the quality and the creativity is is evident and i also think that yeah um Filmmakers that go to places like A24 uh, owe This movie a massive debt that is obvious From the very beginning And continues throughout However um, I don't feel like Like I think the problem Was with my viewing of the movie You watched it
1: when you'd rather be doing something else
0: <laughs> Yeah so I spent a lot of the viewing Like I don't think I paid close enough attention mm. Cause I know that there's like cool shots of stuff it's like being subtle. in the background and looming and being kind of strange. And like some of that shit, I just didn't see it. Like I just didn't, like I just was not. So like, I want to blame myself somewhat for what my immediate takeaway from the movie is, because what my answer is like, well, obviously it's good, but I don't know if my viewing was like a great viewing of it to
2: mm-hmm. have. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Was there anything in the movie that that did that to you that that got you distracted, or was it was just, just totally separate from the movie? I'm, like your mind, I just, just felt like my made. head
0: was somewhere else. Yeah, and I feel bad because like this movie, like I said, like it's evidently I think very good, but um, I feel like I missed some part of watching I'm, it i'm surprised somehow. you
1: don't have like because even with movies that i watch and we watch a lot of movies on this podcast where i'd rather be doing something else and um you know i still find like lots of things to say about them you in most cases you know there's i feel like this movie is is like dripping in, in detail and and in, in texture and in just thematic layers and and really good yeah, i'm not
0: saying i don't have stuff to say at all but it's just like rarely do we watch a movie in my head is somewhere else. And the movie is also obviously mm. great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah.
2: Right. Like normal. You can so, get away with it because like, it's because the movie like sucks movie ass and that that's good, why you're not so. paying
0: attention. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, I know that's not really an answer about the movie, no. but it's the truth of my experience with the movie. Uh, but again, obviously it's, it's like great. That's kind of a given. Cool.
1: Well,
2: what All about right. You, Mitch?
1: Um, yeah, I fucking love this movie. Uh, I kind of already showed my hand a bit earlier when you asked me why I picked this movie. Uh, and th- but there's just so much to like about... I tend to assume you're not going to pick something that's 60 years old that you also don't I like. might. Or I might... It's, it's happened. happened before. Yeah. Has it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. With why? Well, I mean, we've, I've picked movies that are like 40 years old that I haven't liked. Well, I said, um, well we haven't done too many <laughs> things that are from like the, like the 60s necessarily that, that I've picked. But there's been films that I've picked from the 70s kind of on like a whim and that we ha- I haven't liked. Or there's ones that I've picked from the 50s that I think are imperfect movies that I think are interesting, that are like deeply flawed in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, like is the, this a,
1: yeah, the for example, is a movie that I really like, but um, I think that it has a lot of problems, um, and I think it's weirdly weighted. Um, I don't think it's like a great film, but I, it's it's a one that I enjoy. Um,
2: when it comes to having problems, Mitch, is, is this movie innocent?
1: Uh, this film has, I think, no problems. This film is is brilliant, brilliantly performed by Debra Kerr, um, just. Like a her wide-eyed sort of gaze, and and the way that she she speaks and rambles, and and the way that her character sort of deteriorates is is just so fascinating to me, and it's a, a brilliant performance. I think one of her best. It reminds me of her performance in Black Narcissus, um, but she she arrives on location at at Bly, and um, you know she's thrilled to be there, and. Uh, she's so excited and pleasantly surprised that it's not this dreary place that she tells the coachman to let her out and walk, and she finds out that the exterior of this place is baked in sunlight, and she calls it a heaven for children. Right, and the the play or the the book and the play are set from like uh, I think like July to autumn, and as like the seasons kind of change, uh, the place becomes like more oppressive, and things that are innocent become like threatening and, and dangerous. And there's also like this whole sort of uh, Freudian thing that's, that's pulled through it as well. So where you kind of question her sanity and the relationship with the children. And um, it's, it's uh, just, such a well woven screenplay and such a well performed film that it's it's full of ambiguities and you're constantly questioning whether or not what she's seeing is real and I love the way that Freddie Francis kind of does that with the cinematography to kind of uh, give an otherworldly feel. It's shot in CinemaScope, but it feels much more intimate in the exteriors or in the interiors, I should say. And um, like I love the use of like light and grain to kind of obscure the apparitions, like especially the one over the lake. I think that's like a stunning shot, how it just sort of becomes granny or when she's sitting in the, in the schoolroom, and there's a window behind her and she's kind of blown out. It's the way that they sort of, <sighs> Dude, I'm getting de- freaked out. Yeah, it's such a chilling kind of um, way to kind of portray ghosts. And I also think very groundbreaking for the time. Cause if you watch a haunted house film, from like the late fifties, like house on haunted Hill, or you watch something else that doesn't feel like this movie, which feels quite modern. Uh, and cause and I think partially because of like the psychological underpinnings to are are uh, I think more, uh, grounded in reality. It's, uh, it's a really good movie. Um, I, I don't have enough good things to say about it, but we can, we can I don't know, talk about performances. I think the children in this movie are really good, which is refreshing because most f- films from this period that have child performances are, are kind of hokey or corny and the kids sort of uh, seem inauthentic. But with such a small uh, cast, they kind of need to be good and they're great in this.
2: I, I totally agree and i i'm kind of amazed at how they pulled yeah. it off a, a big chunk of that just has to be directing yeah. i think i mean of course there's there's natural talent people have natural talent for things but um when you're talking about kids who are that young um, even if they have that natural talent you know it's it's got to be pulled out of them somehow they've got to be made to feel at mm-hmm. ease um and whatever they did in this movie totally worked i i could have spent the whole movie with either of those kids um like they, they were both great enough to yeah. carry the movie so the fact that th- they were both there and then we have um miss giddens who is also such a strong performance bouncing back and forth and they're holding their own um with her is just incredible because they also have to go to some uh dark places as well particularly miles you know he get he gets put on a trip, um, they're not just giving the heavy lifting to Miss Giddens and letting these kids be uh, placeholders for um, innocence in the way that, like, oh my gosh, I don't know, when A Stranger Calls 2005 is, where they're just like, alright, shove the kids in a bedroom, um, and then in the climax, you'll run around with the kids, and people will feel bad because they're kids, but the kids have nothing to do. In this movie, it's quite the opposite. The kids have a whole lot to do, and if they couldn't do it believably if they couldn't feel um vulnerable if they if they couldn't feel approachable if if they couldn't feel friendly i think the movie would would really falter because the movie spends a good chunk of time making me really like all of these characters and be endeared to them in order to then sort of break them apart by uh what's going on at this house and so to have that extra layer on top of it of um the ambiguity of not really go- knowing what's going on in this house just makes all the performances even more captivating yeah. the, uh, to me
1: the kid who played miles was also in the original village of the damned i, I think i you and i spoke about that movie once liam maybe you saw, maybe the remake. Yeah. I don't
2: know. Uh, maybe we did I haven't okay. seen either uh, it's of
1: another problem. good sort of creepy kid movie um but like back on track with the kids I think like the strong the strongest thing I think is that you don't really know if they're like conduits for malicious spirits or or if it's you know just like completely a psychological thing in Deborah Carr's mind but yeah. um yeah and that sort of dynamic is really good and the way that the kids especially miles performs he he seems much older and almost. Like clairvoyant or uh, like omniscient in a way, like he he knows the answers to the questions before she even says, it. and it could just be because he's like a a smart little guy, but also it adds this sort of uh, creepy mystique to like to like the kids and how they how they're almost having conversations without saying anything, and they they know what each other is sort of thinking before they even speak. It's the kids are so so strong in this movie.
2: Do you got any thoughts on the on the kids, Corey? Um, I
0: mean, to be honest, at first I found them kind of annoying.
2: Um, I might just be annoyed by kids, though. Yeah, yeah, maybe that means they were doing it well. And you're just not a kid guy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like it, it all felt v- very like <laughs>
2: very British. Um yeah, there's nothing worse than a kid than a British kid. That's <laughs> the only thing. But um
0: I I guess because I spent part of the movie not totally knowing what the goal was or like where it was heading, that some of the moments where like it's meant to seem more adult because like they might be possessed or she's making it up, but let's say they're maybe possessed, and they were doing that very like adult kind of like way of speaking and mannerisms like the performance itself is great but i didn't find myself super all the way taken in by it um but i don't have a good reason as to why like it it always kind of felt like like a kid playing an adult playing a kid kind of thing for those i think he's really good i don't know if that makes sense i don't know i'm not saying he's bad i think they're good like i don't think it's bad um but if you ask me for a comment on the performances that's the one that came to my (laughs) hand i mean
1: i mean another sort of character uh in the film i think is is the house in a way too Um, the way that it kind of creaks and there's, there's drafts and and groans and and the sound design is, is largely responsible for that. But also, I mean, it was, I think it was shot, uh, the interiors were shot in studio, um, in Britain at at a very famous studio. I forget the name of, uh, it's where they shot a bunch of big British films. Um, but the the big the interiors are are just like incredible. And and the way that the house is and the grounds with these sort of beetles crawling out of statues' mouths and the statues in a ring around a pit. And this just sort of l- these lush uh grounds that are, are full of like decaying uh roses and, and, and this this crumbling house from uh you know it was built in like the seventeen seventies. It's it's uh just a, such a, a authentic, like, location that it, it almost feels like a character in itself. The, the house feels oppressive. And I think part of that has to do with the cinemascope cinematography, too, that kind of, like, blows out the, like, the sides of, like, the, the corridors and stuff. And makes and also the camera is always in a weird angle, too. So it, it the house feels oppressive.
2: that's a good point Uh, yeah i thought i thought the house felt very alive so when you say that it feels like a character that makes sense like it feels alive in that it changes Mm -hmm. as the movie goes on when she yeah it gets so dark when she first arrives it's like blindingly bright um and it feels um you know maybe maybe overwhelmingly like uh positive i guess or overwhelmingly um overwhelmingly bright uh because you know she's arriving at this new job and uh she's kind of given carte blanche to take care of these kids and there's the nice housekeeper there um so she doesn't really have a whole lot of problems um and the kids seem nice as well and so the the place feels very very open um there, and there's you know beautiful scenery and architecture, and then as the movie goes on, it's not like those things go away um, because th- the house you know stays the same. It's not like there's a scene where like the house is uh, breaking apart in order to um, depict the change in mood. It's simply like night feels so different, um, which I which I love because that that's so true to life. You know, night can make a uh, um, a an open, uh, welcoming place feel feel much scarier and and this movie totally does that and so when the interiors of the house are just bathed in shadows those shadows all of a sudden feel like walls that are closing her in even further um and then the kids are behaving differently as the movie goes on and so the horror in the daylight starts happening and this this bright um lavish opulent landscape starts to feel more oppressive like you said like that scene where uh, um flow is um what does she say she's like watching a spider eat a some sort of insect uh, eat a butterfly um and they have that conversation and then across the way across the little body of water um you see a figure standing in the grass and it's all in the That's daylight with film grain. Um, Oh my gosh, dude! It's so freaky. And seeing that the figure on top of the tower, I yeah. thought that was the the scariest image in the movie for me. And that happens in the daylight. And so, um, it it takes this this architecture and. Um, all of a sudden makes me feel different about it. And it's not the typical I'm scared when it's night and when it's dark, Mm. I feel like I have some rest. We're going to get character work and then it's going to be night and things will get scary again. All of a sudden the lines are blurred and uh, the movie just doesn't really let up from there. Once it starts. Yeah,
1: I think also um, I was watching like a documentary about the making of this film a while ago and one of the things they talked about was like the set dec- decorations. If you look on like the, on the walls of the house, you'll notice that there's lots of like portraits of mother and child. And, um, they said that that was like a deliberate sort of choice because like the, I guess, Deborah Kerr as Miss Giddens can't have or doesn't have children of her own. And there's kind of like this, I guess this sort of psychosexual, um, like Freudian thread, through the movie, like she's like a like a a latent um, like frustration or a, a miscontentness in, in in her life and kind of where it's gone, and uh, you know she's kind of just like a, a lonely governess character, right? And uh, so I think I think that's a really interesting aspect of as well as kind of how they they just use like paintings and stuff to kind of. Um, accentuate that too which is something that didn't really occur to me when i was watching it but i wa- when i saw the documentary and then i watched it again i was like oh yeah there's one in like almost every single like in in so many shots in this movie i was i was shocked later when i rewatched it and saw that um which i didn't pick up originally but yeah it's uh i i love the the setting here i think any good A ghost story is only as good as your haunted house. And boy, is Bly ever ever a good one. Um, Another interesting thing, too, that I I remember hearing when I watched that documentary. So Harold Pinter uh, wrote or he directed the uh, the play. Uh, which came out in 1950, *The Innocents*, and I'm a big Harold Pinter fan with how he kind of writes his stories, *The Servant*, all these other things that are about sort of characters revealing themselves slowly and their their true intentions and their nature, and there's always a psychological element and a uh, imbalance of power. And um, one thing that's kind of interesting about this is is the way in which power and also sort of like the history of the of like the the house reveals itself. Originally, they wanted to put it in like uh flashback sequences where they show like what the like the old uh staff who were haunting the place were like and they decided not to do that um and instead you just kind of learn gradually how they met their fate and when uh miss gross tells uh miss giddens outside of that chapel that uh you know um, miss uh, mary Jessel. uh died by her own hand and like that sort of by the lake um th- just like the way that you kind of learn more and then these apparitions start making more sense it, it, it feels like it's it's a, a ghost story colliding with harold pinter it's great
2: yeah yeah i i agree i i loved it as the, the story revealed itself in, in pretty subtle ways, just through these conversations and, and like what you were saying, the painting, the pictures on the wall, which which I didn't realize, but it doesn't surprise me because there is so much depth to a lot of these shots and I was sure that I was missing stuff. And as things are revealed, it made me think about what I had seen already differently, you know, which is why I said I, I would love to watch this movie again. Um when Miss Gross and, and Miss Giddens have that conversation and she starts to suspect that um, the kids have been possessed, then it made their uh, their maturity their, and their um, self-assuredness uh went from either being, you know, charming. I thought it was charming. Maybe it comes across as eye Mm rolly, you know, these kids uh, acting as adults. All of a sudden it it seems a lot creepier and it it seems very deliberate. And it it makes me wonder if um, these kids have been possessed or are they just precocious because they grew up rich and they've always had someone to uh, dote after them and, and, uh, um, read to them and um you know go to private school they're they're Um, very lonely too um and
1: so like on one hand they seem like starved for affection but on the other hand um there's like like um they and they act out for attention right because they're they're lonely and um I think that also ties into that kind of Freudian element too, where, where you don't know if it's, it's the fact that like uh, Miles is, is possessed by Quint. And that's why he's kind of acting up and almost being like flirtatious with Miss Giddens. Or if it's just the fact that he's like lonely and looking like for like some kind of attention. And it's it's so weird because like uh, I know like when they originally made the, the film, like 20th Century Fox wanted them to get rid of the scene where Miles kisses Miss Giddens on the lips. Like, they were, they were, like, outraged studio executives, but they insisted that they keep it. And I think that, like, that image is so, like, jarring and so, like, startling. And, and I think keeping with kind of Quint's character, that it, that it adds to, I guess, like, the, the ambiguity of, like, whether or not they're possessed and uh, also just muddying the waters.
0: You think it adds to the ambiguity?
1: Uh, well, I think it makes it more ambiguous.
0: I think it makes it less ambiguous. I think
2: so. How so, Corey?
0: I think it makes it more apparent well, that
1: they well, are no, possessed. The than ambiguity they're not. that they are possessed, but also I think just like the, like a psychosexual, like am- ambiguous thread, I think through the movie. Um, that's kind of weird and off kilter. Uh, but I think, I, I still think that like it, it leaves room. Uh, where you can kind of suspend your I think like it's not that far fetched to think that the the kid with how like lonely he is and how he doesn't really have like a mother figure that he's kind of I don't know confused right I don't know Yeah but you also wouldn't kiss no, your mom No no like I don't that. think so. So it's, it's, <laughs> but like he also like makes up for it in like in other interactions that, that don't seem like that. There's there's like no way to get like a a really sure read on whether or not he is or isn't possessed. I like yeah, yeah. Or, or what i just mean to say that that scene
0: for me made me lean more towards yeah yes, i think that's the intent no.
1: um
0: and also it was the only all caps note i took in the whole movie and it starts with whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa. i think that's
1: <laughs> like, what does it, it end is with truly,
0: uh the kiss is absolutely recontextualizing how i am interpreting this i mean yeah. Mamma mia
1: <laughs> is with the notes definitely that kid definitely has some issues whether or not it's being possession i don't know well and then like shortly thereafter she's just full-on screaming and shaking a child yeah she really uh, deteriorates and i i I I think miss gross is an interesting sort of foil in all of that
0: i i was surprised to see that she sort of convinces herself that they're possessed Like, I I think it does a great job establishing that ambiguity early on and then leading you one way or the other because it doesn't really give you anything particularly concrete. So you just see her being Giddens kind of just increasingly become unhinged and like circular logic herself in her way into being convinced that that's what's happening. And it makes it a really interesting portrait of like losing your shit basically like and then when she's like running all through the house and she's got the candles out and the cameras just cutting between like doors and her and the walls and overhead angles and she's hearing voices and there's this weird like not synth music but like it's just meant to be a haunting sound it's right and all of that together. Like, I think as a visual of her just gradually losing her shit for want of a more elegant phrase, um, it does a really good job getting all of that going.
1: Yeah, definitely. Also, I think like not to circle back to like, to fixate like on the, on the weirdness of the kiss scene completely, but I think it's definitely worth noting that like Deborah Kerr's character is not his mom, (laughs) you know? um, which is is just kind of like weird, but also like I don't know. The kid is the
2: kid's got issues. <laughs> I guess Corey said. Yeah, yeah i I had no trouble. I had no trouble reading that kiss either way. I don't remember what I thought about it in the moment. Um, I but um, in hindsight, and where where the movie goes, I think it ends up being not entirely clear. And and I could believe that, um, this dude who, who went to private school and, um, has been told that he's mature for his age. Um, and you know, she kind of, uh, she didn't condemn his flirtatiousness when, when he first, uh, um, showed that part of himself to her. And so I don't find it too hard to believe that, uh, he thought that he had a chance with, um, this, this woman uh, who uh, has just come into his house yeah, and, like uh, and he went this, for This it.
1: headstrong, like, little, like, rich kid who's, like, lonely and, like, I don't know, it's it's kind of like when you have, like, a crush on, like, your teacher, you know? <laughs> I don't know. When you're a kid.
0: <laughs> and it's like when you kiss hey, you your kiss teacher. don't kiss
1: them, but, I mean, this is, like, weird Victorian shit. It's like when you make it with your teacher. <laughs> I don't know.
0: It's just like that. Um... <laughs>
1: Sorry. Uh, what do you guys think of the performance of uh, Megs Jenkins as Mrs. Grouse?
2: <laughs> gross. Gr- gross. You thought she was gross? <laughs> yeah, I thought the performance was gross. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of icky. Just icky. Yeah. Now, I, I I really loved her. I thought that she was a necessary part of the movie that um, I didn't know the movie needed. You know, when she was first introduced, I was kind of confused because I thought it would just be um, the the governess, uh, Miss Giddens, and and the two kids. I I hadn't considered that there would also be a housekeeper. I thought the governess would do that as well. I guess I need to brush up on um. On my, there was like uh, several
0: staff members.
2: That's right. Yeah. 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 I, I guess I just don't know what rich people need in their houses. Um, but I thought she was such a, uh, essential bouncing board for Miss Giddens is, um, she kind of plays that role that is still used in movies of uh, someone who has encountered the prior evil and is still around and, and wise and grizzled to tell the tale. And for her to be right there in the house um, is like such a it's I think it's just clever script writing that at first she just helps out with um the directions within the house and she's just a friend for Miss Giddens. And then as things go on, she becomes um, a character who we can go to for like um, backstory and some dramatic heft and we can, we can get her opinion and um, it can be used to make Miss Giddens uh, actually feel more anxious as opposed to less anxious. So I thought, um, she was great, you know. Mitch, you you use the word foil. I think that's totally what she was, and I think it was very. Yeah. clever, And I and I I totally bought her as a as an actress. I thought she was exactly that woman, you know. And it, it probably helps that I don't I don't know any of these actors. Um, but I thought they, they all did great, and I I totally bought them. Yeah, as their she's characters. a really
1: useful character. Uh, in in a film that's that is short on characters because she has an insight into the past, and, um she's also like another adult, right. Who has like a a clear perspective into things. And she seems kind of like maybe, uh, like, like a simple character, not like, not too much going on, not too many worries, just kind of going through life with a very sort of simple approach. Um, but her insight into like what's going on, she doesn't perceive any of the things that Miss Giddens does. And but she has insights into the past and maybe like goes along with it. But it's also worth noting that she's also um, uh, subservient to Miss Giddens, who has "quote unquote" supreme power. And so, um, it's it's interesting how the how the power sort of shifts in their relationship. And near the end of the movie, she puts. Uh, Mrs. Grouse and Flora into the wagon and sends them off. And then there's that final evening with Miss Giddens and Miles that's uh, just weird again on those elements that we talked about earlier, but also um, uh, like tragic too and, and creepy and, and full of, of ambiguity and doubt in, into the into the you know, it's that your final sort of hammering home that whether or not they they are possessed, which is great.
0: And it's weird how cagey she is about everything. <laughs> like, when it seems like Giddens is, is keeping up with something or catching on to something, and then she's like, yeah. yeah a part remember. of that could just be,
1: like, Victorian morals, too.
0: <laughs> that's, what, no, that's what I think makes it more interesting, because, like, it maintains ambiguity, because you think, oh, she doesn't want to talk about it, because it's, like too gnarly you know like it's too gross to do that to say or too Um, gross to call
1: the vicar to come over and check the place out because something indecent happened here right like it's
0: out of line which i think it makes it more interesting because you have no reason to think that the that she agrees or not because she could be cagey about it because she doesn't want to like mess with something demonic or she'd be cagey about it because it's like bad manners and I think that that's a very cleverly played yeah. part of it.
1: Yeah, she's a great character. Uh, every time I watch this movie, I appreciate her more and more. And she's also kind of like a ray of sunshine, too, and, other, and what is otherwise like a really gloomy and creepy film. I feel like she feels like a source of comfort throughout the movie, even when she's kind of at odds with Miss Giddens. Um, she's like your daytime in a horror film, the scenes with her.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's why I thought it was so cool as the movie went on and she stopped being a source of comfort to um, Miss Giddens. Because um, Miss Gross doesn't change all that much. I mean, she reveals more about what she knows, but her character doesn't change nearly as much as uh, Miss Giddens' character. And so to have them be contrasted and uh, have Miss Giddens start to... Start to um, deteriorate yeah. well miss gross feels even more comfortable not even more comfortable but she still feels mm-hmm. comfortable that underscores um i think the uh how personal this story ends up feeling and and how how i wonder what it is that's going on maybe it is just miss giddens problem otherwise she would have someone to go down with uh, but instead it ends up just just being her and I think that is that's even scarier. I, I love horror movies where just like one person in particular just gets uh just gets dickered and it's like everyone else kinda gets out all right. Um this this uh it's it I think it's much scarier when the horror has a target as opposed to just coming for anyone within its uh Yeah. Within I think it's, it's a really a really
1: strong scene where she kind of acts above her station and, and uh, confronts Miss Giddens. And the final scene where she, she insists Flora look to see across like the pond to see Miss Jessel. And of course she doesn't see anything. And that one scene where she, she finally uh, is like, I think what you did there was wicked. And and, you know, she, she lashes out and lets her know what she really thinks and and that she questions her sanity and, and questions her capacity to make decisions. And then, uh, Deborah Kerr's character, Miss Giddens, fires back to Miss Gross and says, uh, "You're going to go to London with Flora, and that you're going to speak to their to their uncle, and you know you're going to tell them what happened." She's like, "Well, what will I tell them? The truth." And that one line kind of hangs there. And of course, as a spectator, you have no idea what the truth is. Miss Gross certainly doesn't. But from her perspective nothing's going on and I think that that's just like that scene cuts like right to the center of this film and, and what makes it great
2: that's so mm. true yeah that that might have been um, my favorite scene in the movie you know it wasn't my favorite moment I mean I really loved the the, the creepy mm-hmm. distant stuff like homie on the tower um, but in terms of just uh, um a story unfolding and and building up and paying off i thought that scene was was incredible and i loved that it um managed to skirt being definitive as as so many climaxes are you know often that's where your twist Mm -hmm. is revealed and the audience has to stop wondering the movie has made uh the decision for you and it's going to tell you um Uh, which way things are going and and what has actually been going on and that's a it's it's a risky thing for movies to do there i can think of some occasions where a movie has you know revealed itself Corey and i saw one in the theater a, a few years ago called unsane and i was so into that movie for about 50 minutes and then the movie reveals what is going on uh and I, I hated it. The movie dropped all the way down for me because I thought that it ruined everything that the movie had done prior. I thought that um, I could no longer think of what was happening the way that I was um, because the movie had had made a decision. And, and sometimes, of course, it pays off. Um, but in this movie, I thought it was really adept at... Um, Having the story play out realistically for the characters and um, not making it clear that it was fence sitting, yeah. it like it felt it felt very natural. You know, some movies are ambiguous. Uh, um, just for because they can't think of what to do. I think this movie uh, knows what it wants to do and it knows the way it wants to make the audience feel and it knows the way it wants to make the characters feel. And so for both of those characters to come out of that conversation more scared and, and more confused than they went in, but also probably equally confident in their understanding of the situation and they both understand different things about the situation they would both tell the story differently I just thought it was masterful. Yeah very
1: few films can kind of maintain that conceit of, of, of ambiguity I think like of the few I've seen like I think maybe like Phantom Thread and, and the relationship between the two characters which reminds me of this movie in a way it feels like a ghost story as well. Um Feels like one of those films that while it's set in the past could be set like like in the last like 400 years like it, it just it just feels so removed from time and space uh, with such an insular setting Um, uh, yeah there's there's so much to, to love about this movie I, w- I was wondering while I was watching this do you guys think that this movie is scary Corey do you think it's scary um Can I make the distinction between freaky and scary? Well, what is freaky and what is scary? I think... They seem like synonyms to me. They sort of are, but... I think...
0: Let me try to actually hash out this as like a complete thought. And not just me saying some shit. Um... I guess it is. um, I want to make a distinction in like vocabulary because I think that's the most helpful way to try to make a distinction like that. But it is just not in extremely conventional ways. Um, Like it's it's a tension building scary, not like a ah all at once you know jump scare scary. Mm. It's a particular brand of scary, which I guess is maybe occasionally also described as freaky or like killing. unsettling unnerving a chiller gothically chilling um yeah like i think that that is maybe more how i would describe it because like its goals feel more in line with being unsettling unnerving off-putting you know and i don't know if i would always describe those things as like outright scary but um
2: yeah, it's very effective at being yeah. unsettling and, and freaky. What about you, Liam? Yeah, I was I was scared watching this movie. Um, I think the way that it shoots the the ghostly figures or whatever you want to call them, hallucinations. I don't know, but um, a lot of the ghosty stuff was freaky. I thought and scary. I thought the only one that didn't get me um but then i ended up appreciating it anyway was when she uh is um approached by the 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 specter of i guess it would be quint Quint, while she's playing hide and seek and his his face uh comes close to the window um uh, i really like that shit a little bit i i when it it was so just for
1: the movie i'll tell you how they shot that. that scene after that but keep going
2: yeah, yeah. So when he first got close, I thought I thought that it seemed a bit corny and at odds with the rest of the movie. I thought it was too, too uh, in everything my face. Everything else is so distant. Um, yeah, everything else is so distant. But then it just lingers, and then he retreats back into the shadows. And I was, and then I was down with it. Um, yeah. I thought I thought that it ended up paying off. I I guess I thought that. Um, with him just coming toward the window, I thought it could just be, you know, a person. I didn't think it felt particularly ghostly. I could see too much of his face, so he just felt like a man. But then, um, for there to be no tension release, um, you know, there's, there's not like a conversation. The ghost doesn't uh, say anything, and then he just retreats back. I thought that, um, it actually underscored the the otherworldliness of it, and um, so I thought I thought there were a lot of scary moments. Um, how did they shoot it, Mitch? So they
1: um, they put the actor who plays Quint on a shopping cart beneath the window, and then they pulled it on like three or four strings towards the window and away from the window to kind of give the impression of like a ghostly movement, right? Because if it's not like he just like walks up. It's like as though he he floats up or he rolls towards the window. And they, they did that to kind of give it like a weird movement. And every time I see that scene, knowing it was done that way, I, I, like that particular shot of him staying in the window like that does stay in my mind. And I saw this film years ago and it's one of the things that lingers. And um, yeah, I think the way that the, the apparitions are filmed in this are, is just like really uh unsettling and chilling and also another th- like i i think that this movie is scary um for all the reasons you guys said but also just for the fact that you you know that you can't trust your like the senses of the characters and you can- you don't really know uh like who to trust we love an unreliable narrator. narrator is is used to i think like frightening effects um and so that's scary uh or just the idea of maybe being in that kind of a situation. Uh, and it is like a really uh, well-constructed situation, an isolated situation. And I know originally they were going to have scenes where Deborah Kerr's character, uh, the uncle comes back and he goes to a cricket game and he goes to a pub and she's talking to him. Like, Why? I don't know. Well, they, they caught it and rightfully so. Um, uh, because it, it it ruins that sort of insulated world of of doubt and dread, um, in this decaying Victorian mansion. It, it's so fucking good. I love this movie, <laughs> and I'm so glad they didn't do that.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know th- this story. It it's it's so ripe for horror and also for. Um, just to, to, to create a devastating character story. I think by the time the movie wraps up, um, I don't think that it is a... Um, uh, the, the, the moments that scared me stick with me as, as horrific images, but it ends up being such um, an intriguing character piece that ends on an image not of horror, but just of you know curiosity when she kisses miles i'm i'm just thinking about what that what that means for, for the story um, but if you but if you take that image by itself uh, you know it's 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 odd it's it's a older yeah. woman kissing a, a boy but it's not it's not a scary image and so when the story wraps up i came away thinking of it more as like a, as i would at the end of a devastating drama um not uh, as uh the horror isn't the thing that i took away Mm -hmm. from the movie even though the movie scared me and so to have both of those elements i think is remarkable and so i'm so curious as to how they apparently messed it up in the the new one with the stranger things boy i really do want to see it um i've heard from friend of the show Keiki, i believe that the ending is is Quite abrupt, which sounds very cool to me. I, I love abrupt endings often, um, and it, it's just such a solid story. Um, and with sixty more years of horror techniques being honed, um, I would love to see how they did this in modern day, and 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 love to see how it compares to this one. Um, because this, this just does it so well and I I, I want to see it yeah. done again because I think that it's such a I cool idea. I think the idea. antiquity of, of this film
1: kind of makes it creepier. Um, like it, it makes it feel out of, like it, it, in some ways the filmmaking techniques feel very modern and uh, in other ways they don't. And so the fact that like Freddie Francis's cinematography has aged so well is good but it, it just feels so out of time and space and makes it feel so weird and creepy um, yeah this is the adaptation for me I, I definitely want to like seek out some other ones I know there was an unofficial sequel in 1972 with Marlon Brando that I would like to check out what yeah. the heck um, I think it's 72 it's in the 70s uh, but yeah fuck there's, there's so many different things what's it uh, called fuck let me look it up but there's there's so many things I could I could say about this movie, um, because it 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 is just so rich and there's so much going on. I'm just looking it up right now. Adaptations, uh, the Nightcomers. It's a sorry. It's a prequel. A prequel, I should say. Yeah, the nocturnal
2: emissions is already taken. The nightcomers. It's a prequel. (laughs) That's that's really good, Corey. Um. Yeah, I would. I would love to do more movies. Uh, adapted from this. From this. uh, Yeah, I'd be down to check it out soon and just see how they compare.
1: Yeah. The Innocents. Let me just check my notes, because I still definitely have more to say. I don't know about you guys. You yeah, get it
2: all out. Get it all out there, bro. I can I can bounce off you, but I've I've said all my notes okay. on paper. Man, I feel like you
0: have all said stuff I might have said just better than I was going to <laughs> this time around. So,
1: oh, uh, Corey was talking about the scene with the the synthesizer and uh, like the sound design.
0: I think there's more than one. They do, they do, yeah. They, they deploy
1: music sparingly, except for that one sort of uh, melody that keeps re- appearing itself. And each time it, it, it becomes sort of more uh, uh, oppressive, just the fact that there's not that much music ex- except for that in these small claustrophobic halls. It's, uh, the sound design in this film is brilliant. But in that particular scene of, of paranoia and claustrophobia where she's going down the, the corridor with the candelabra, and it seems to be getting she's just surrounded by complete darkness. Um, and you hear whispering and, and laughing. And uh, one of the things that you hear is is uh, there's a whisper that's like repeatedly saying, Kiss me, kiss me. And you don't really the a lot of what like the, the the things are whispering and saying, it it makes sense once you like learn the context of what happened to the ghosts. Um but, uh, like in that scene, it's jarring, and you kind of project it onto the desires of of um Deborah Kerr's character. so it's it's like the sound design alone, I think is is like brilliant in this movie. Um, yeah, I also think it's pretty early
0: use of. In lieu of traditional music, or at least exclusively, like we've just made an upsetting yeah. sound. Like a, an upsetting, unreal, synthetic sound, and it is going to be the thing that makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. It's uh It's really cool. It's extremely well executed. Um,
1: did you yeah, give it another great. chance, Corey?
0: Yeah. I think I have to because, like, again, it's clearly great and I can recognize that. Like, that's obvious regardless of any individual
1: Mm -hmm. viewing. But yeah, I just felt like I don't know. Yeah, I do feel like I skirted the rules a bit with this pick because there isn't. You did, but like, there is actually another adaptation of this film that came up before in 1959 for television directed by John Frankenheimer. Yes. Oh, really? And there are other sort of like spin offs, texts of, of Turn of the Screw that were adapted beforehand in the 40s. Um, but no like direct adaptation and certainly not a, not a filmic one of The Innocents, which is the play derived from Turn of the Screw. So I kind of skirted the rules a bit. I kind of shoehorned it in because there is a like a work of television beforehand, but. Um,
2: this it's is like the granddaddy spooktober.
1: adaptation of, of this story, and there's so many adaptations that I feel like I can I can do this.
2: Yeah, it's October. Yeah. Now you'll just have to pay it back when we do the turning from 2020. Yes. <laughs> You're gonna rue the day you ever uh, made us aware of <laughs> now this, Now we Mitch. have to watch the turning. The turning. This is My the pick turn is of now the, the turning podcast now. Okay. That would be absolutely sick. We're
0: gonna do Kevin Tenney month, and then we're gonna do Turning month. <laughs> Speaking of, of of picks, Corey, yes. do you have a
1: pick for next week?
0: Oh, fucking fuck yeah, dude! All right, what have you got? I've had it for weeks because <laughs> I can't, I can't read, and I don't know what time of day it is, and I've I've never understood anything that's ever happening, maybe ever. Um, as good as playing this podcast, but uh, so. We're going back to a franchise we've dealt with before. That was the one thing that I had a bit of an issue with when I was deciding. I was like, is it is it more interesting to do something we haven't done any anything of yet horror movie-wise? Because we've got a lot of choice there. You can do some real wacky, deep-cut shit. Um, and I wasn't sure if that was the best decision or not. Or if if i want to just try something that you know it's it's a little bit more familiar but i really want to watch it Mm -hmm. that's ultimately what i've gone with um is just something that i want to see really bad right um and am more excited about now than i would have been before we ever did this podcast so it just feels like the appropriate time to do that um does anybody have a guess i'm just curious because i feel like i've teed it up in
2: a way that i may have narrowed it down somewhat i have no idea but maybe not my guess, um, my initial guess was the new Hellraiser, but it can't it be Pearl? that because you had this pick ready for last week and it wouldn't have been out yet.
0: I actually didn't even know Hellraiser was out now. <laughs> yeah right, So I'm going to I've been waiting to say Hellraiser because I didn't... I mean, we're going to do Hellraiser, but I didn't know when it was out. So
2: I'm going to guess um, Nightmare on Elm Street 3.
0: No, that's a good movie, but I have seen it. And it feels a little bit like we we've already done two. So like to just do them in order feels a bit silly. But what we're gonna do instead of that is a remake. Okay. And it will be the remake of Fright Night.
1: Oh fuck, I think you mm. told me that you were planning on doing this. We were talking about work. At work, yeah. I did. Yeah, I knew this. You
0: asked you asked you asked me multiple times. To know what it was, and I made sure that you really wanted to know, and then evidently I forgot, you forgot.
1: But I know I knew this. Yeah, that's hilarious.
0: Yeah. You pulled a me, and but I um, Corey
2: also did that with me. He made sure I really wanted to know, and then I, I backed out. I told him yeah. no, I don't want it. Yeah,
0: Fright Night remake. Okay, I'm really excited about this. Like very, very excited. It's got Anton Yelchin in it. Okay, and I think Colin Farrell. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, McLovin. Jeez. Is McLovin in it too? Yeah. Damn, he's got to be Brewster's friend who like whinily says Brewster. He's that guy, right? He is. Yeah, well, he yeah. has to be. Yeah, I was like, "There's no fucking chance <laughs> that they cast that dude as anybody." One of our
1: coworkers was talking shit about this movie.
0: Do not tell me a single word. I don't want it. I didn't even want to know that. All right. <laughs> How could you have done this to me?
2: <laughs> Sorry. Now Fucking that I know that one person in the world doesn't like this movie,
0: <laughs> I have to be obligated to hate it. Was that
1: Bunda? No, it was Danny.
0: Oh, I assumed it was Bunda because he was doing the horror movie thread. I'm not keeping this in yeah, because it's our We movie. don't expose don't our, to our coworkers on, this, on the podcast. So, um, so, Mitch, do you have anything you, uh, you for want to plug I want
1: to buy a
0: you want to buy a doll? That's different. That's a totally reasonable transaction.
1: I'll buy doll with dishonesty.
0: What does that mean? I'm
1: going to steal the doll.
0: It's not. Then you're not buying it. That's not a doll. I'm
2: transaction. Okay. Well. Well, he does that. Liam, do you have anything you'd like to plug? I've got a film directing alter ego. Graham the Haunted Marshmallow on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow.
0: Um, I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd too at Mr. Corey Price. Um, there's a relatively new episode of Strat 2 out, which is uh, my F1 podcast that I do with a friend Callum, who's going to be on this show someday. And uh, I've also got MK Podquest, which I do with a friend Neil. He's been on this show. It's a bunch of Mortal Kombat stuff of various varieties. If you want to hear those uh, you can find them all listed, uh, if you didn't write their names down, MK Strat 2 at uh, MortalCombatConquest.ca. All of those are localized there. Um, thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet, on Twitter, at They Made Another, which is all one word and a letterbox, that TMAO. That has not been updated in at least a year and a half. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and just like, you know, how you're doing. We never really ask. We need to do better. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson. You can find it on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And with all that out of the way, we're gonna check out the remake of Fright Night. For Spooktober, baby. On oh, their way.